to ProCon. My name is Siddharth Satish and I'm your host on today's show. In today's episode, we have Denia Smith, a local youth activist attending West Windsor Plainsboro High School South. Denia is dedicated towards fighting racial injustice with her school and has founded the People of Color Advocacy Group to promote changes in policy, education, and programming throughout the West Windsor Plainsboro School District from grades K to 12. The POC Advocacy Group is composed of student representatives from West Windsor Plainsboro High School North and South and high school alumni. The organization has partnered with the African American Parent Support Group and works closely with the WWP Board of Education and West Windsor Plainsboro's Equity Channel. Denia is now planning an upcoming march in honor of the Black Lives Matter movement in West Windsor Plainsboro. In the future, Denia plans to host community programs to promote conversations on racial literacy in West Windsor Plainsboro. She hopes to extend her reach to advocate against racism and unite communities beyond our own. We are so excited to have you on today's show, Denia. Hi, Progon. It's good to be here. Yeah, um, so let's jump right in then. So as a member of the African-American community yourself, what was your first reaction to learning about the death of George Floyd? My first reaction to learning about the death of George Floyd was honestly a lot of emotion. The main thing that I felt was a heart-wrenching experience because even though I never personally met George Floyd, it feels as though we were part of the same family. Like I knew him all my life because of the color of our skin. And again, this experience was honestly shockingly horrid and disappointing, but I wasn't really surprised. There have been multiple occurrences of black men and females dying in this country at the hands of police brutality for decades, going from Ebbett Till to Trayvon Martin to Eric Gardner and now George Floyd. And additionally, something that surprised me when first learning about his death was when I talked to my friends about it, there were a lot of people that weren't that surprised, as though police brutality and black people being murdered has now been the norm. And it made me truly disgusted and surprised as to what has the American public gone to to the point where we've lost our humanity. And there were people that watched the 10-minute video of George Floyd dying and honestly had no horrid reaction or no, no drive to create a change. And it honestly made me wonder, what's going on in this community? It made me recognize the problem that something is wrong and we need to address this issue. So another reaction of being the death of him was an opportunity for change and that maybe after seeing such a graphic experience as horrid as it was maybe it'll spark something in people and that maybe the american society will come to recognize the injustices that happen in our everyday society yeah for sure and the fact that you know you mentioned how it wasn't unusual and people weren't surprised that's just absolutely horrible that it's become kind of a norm at this point in time right that people are not surprised when people uh, are killed because of the color of their skin. And that brings me to my second question. Is there any fears that you have, you know, as a black woman, any inhibitions when you go out, like anything of that sort? Definitely, yeah. Something that I fear about, even though I am young, and this is going to be a problem for me until I get older, but my main fear is having to grow up and then bringing African-American children into the world. It's because this world has just become so obsessed over race and took the color of somebody's skin to pretty much control what's going to happen to the child throughout the rest of their life. And the struggles I've gone through as an African-American woman at the age of 16 is honestly disgusting. And I would honestly cry to know that the fact that my child will have to go through that. And not only will I have to potentially raise an African-American woman, 
I'm going to have to take a young boy and teach him that he's a threat. That because of the color of his skin, he will have different opportunities. And that when met with the police, it's a life or death moment. And it's honestly just so fearful. And it's just going to be a terrible experience, honestly. But then again, it could be, it is a good experience because even though African-American people, we go through a lot and our life isn't necessarily easy. I love being black. I love the color of my skin and I love the culture and the pride that comes with it. An inhibition that I have when I go out definitely is people's first impression of me. Because when people first meet me, they don't see me for my character. They see me for my skin color. And then they assume the worst about me because of that. So there's a lot of stereotypes, as you probably may know, about the African-American community as black men being threats and and being angry, ghetto. So as soon as I meet someone, I have to question to myself, who do they think I am? Do they think I'm the person that I view myself to be? Or do they think that I'm somebody else that society has portrayed from generations of black women? So all of a sudden, when I meet someone new, it's not a struggle of let me get to know the other person. I have to prove to that person that I don't fit the stereotype that society has imposed on me naturally from birth. Yeah, I mean, that stereotype is so hard to break. And especially for, you know, members of the African-American community. And I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, how people view um, others as a threat just because of their skin color, which, you know, has, there's no scientific evidence. There's nothing to prove that the people you view as a threat are actually a, a threat to you. And, you know, you're talking about how these are, there are many stereotypes around the type of person that you are because of your race and gender. So have you or anyone close to you experienced racism firsthand? And this is only if you feel comfortable, if you could share. Definitely, yeah. So I'll say one experience that I felt and then experience with a friend whose name I'm going to keep unknown. So for me personally, I'm on my school's track and field team. And because of COVID-19, school got canceled and our season and all of our practices. But the coaches still give us workouts that we can do on our own. But since the track was closed from, I believe, March until the end of May, I had to practice outside by running in the driveway. So one day I went outside with my older brother and I was doing dashes. So I was going from one end of my parking lot to the other. And when I was driving, I was trying to stay away from any cars. I was usually off to the side by the curb and I was just doing my thing. I was running. And when I was running, all of a sudden there came a car and there was a white person in the car. So I'm running and I'm about to approach the curb. And all of a sudden this car was going at a normal speed. The car just slowed down and then stopped and looked at me specifically. And the person, it's just the glare. It's something that you don't really understand unless you've been. In my experience, it's that glare as though he assumed I was doing the worst or he assumed that I was this type of way. And honestly, just, it really hit me that even in my own community in West Windsor Plainsboro, I'm still judged for who I am because of the color of my skin. So I saw the car and I was just looking at the person inside the car for a solid 30 seconds before they decided to drove off. So then I continued running. So then I came back to my brother who was just standing by the door waiting for me to be done running. And I told him about this experience and how upset I, and how upset I was. And then comes to realize that the same person in the same car took a picture of my brother before driving off. Even though we were outside during coronavirus and we were supposed to be practicing social distancing there was nobody outside and we both had masks on yet the person still had the, the idea to take a picture of my brother so we both go upstairs we tell my mother we tell the police department and they can't do anything about it wow 
I mean, that's just like not fair at all. Like coming from, you know, someone just outside and removed from everything, just hearing about it. And I get what you're saying about the glare, right? It's not something you can describe. It's, it's that feeling in that moment. And the fact that someone felt entitled to give you that glare for simply being, you know, a 16 year old for simply doing something that you love, which was track and field for simply practicing and trying to be good at something that you were really passionate about is just absolutely disgusting to say the least. And the fact that no one can do anything about it, it's just, you feel so helpless sometimes um, that, you know, things are happening and you really can't get justice for it because it's supposed to be the way things happen most of the time and it's become the new norm. It changes the way you live, honestly, because even now, I believe it was like a week after that happened, Ahmaud Arbery died, and I haven't ran outside ever since. Because even though we're in a small community where I assume something like that won't happen, how am I supposed to know? Because how, now I have that fear embedded in me that if I go outside and somebody decides to target me, I could die. Like there's nothing, there's nothing that's there to protect me. The police, who are supposed to be our protectors and the people like guiding our community, are all of a sudden against me. So I honestly haven't ran outside ever since then. And I've wanted to go outside, you know, within my community to just do stuff. Like, I got roller skates the other day. And I was like, let me go outside and roller skate. Let me go outside and do this. Let me go outside and see my friends. But then I have to remember, because of who I am, I can't do those things so easily. Yeah, I mean, that's just something that, you know, as someone who even is a person of color, I haven't felt anything like that which just shows, you know, how the Black Lives Matter movement is just so pressing today because um, the community faces so much and the whole stigma going around that, you know, all lives matter, it's just recognizing the fact that, yes, we and everyone around us do recognize that all lives matter, but right now it's our African-American brothers and sisters who do need that attention, who do need that help because... That's something that I definitely do want to talk about, though. When we mm -hmm. say Black Lives Matter... Think about it like this. Say that you and I are neighbors, and we both have houses, right? And your house is on fire. So I walk out of my house to go see your house, and you're like, oh, my God, my house is on fire. And I say in response to your problem, oh, my God, that's terrible. But my floor is lifting up, and my sink is broken, and my toilet is broken. And you're like, but wait, my house is on fire. My house is burning to the ground as we speak. And I understand that you have these problems as well. But if we don't solve my problem real quickly, my house is going to be gone. I'll have nowhere to live. And that's the same thing with Black Lives Matter. We're not saying that Black Lives Matter more than other lives. We're saying that the injustices that are happening to the Black community are severe to the point where we as a people are being targeted and killed at a rapid-fire rate. And we understand that you have your problems too, but we just need your support at this time, and we'll help you out as well. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, th that's what the whole movement is based on, right? It's not that... Um, anyone's life is worth less because no one ever said that. No one ever said that your life is worth any less than ours. We recognize that everyone's life is worth something. We know that. But right now, it's a group, it's the African-American group inside of our country whose lives are not mattering to the police, whose lives are not mattering to the public, who are being, you know, discriminated against in a country that's supposed to be one of the top leaders of democracy, of equality um, inside of the entire world, which seems, you know, absolutely disgusting when we think that we're going to foreign countries and preaching these values when we can't even solve the problems inside of our own nation.
So on, on that issue, what do you think as youth, you know, both you and me, how do you think lawmakers and adults should address issues like this? Lawmakers and adults, I believe, need to address this issue with the utmost severity as they possibly can. They need to recognize that this isn't a problem that we can just wait until it solves itself. We need to take the initiative now. Because clearly, as you've seen by the protest, this has built up anger over centuries, almost 400 years. And if we don't solve it now, it's going to progress and get worse than we can honestly ever imagine. Lawmakers specifically need to start enforcing the policies that they have in hand that protect civil rights and set aside policies for police misconduct. And if those policies don't exist, they need to be created. Yeah. No, definitely. I think the behavior of certain policemen, obviously we can't generalize with them too because there are a few that are good, but the vast majority that we've seen are being so racist and abusive towards the community. It's something is wrong in the training because you can't repeatedly push out people with the same mindsets. Right. It's something that you are trained to do. And if you look at every single policeman or woman, it's not that they have the same backgrounds. It's that they have the same training. And so there's something wrong in that area that definitely needs to be addressed. So what I realized after doing more research on what happened to George Floyd was the tactic that the police officer used to kill him was never taught in training. Which makes me question, what are they teaching them? Mm. Why is he using a skill set that was never a part of his curricula? Which is, which is honestly why they need to do stronger police reform. Because these police officers shouldn't be going around like in a video game, killing people however they want, when they want. Definitely. And I, I like that you brought that up because there was a New York Times article published recently in, in light of this that was telling that when the person, Derek Chauvin, was being recorded, he half-heartedly reached for the pepper spray and, you know, actually smiled to the camera at one point in time. So he thought of it as a spectacle and he got a lot of attention by it. And, you know, the way in which people were trying to raise awareness was something that he, he thought would make him popular. And the neck movement that you were saying, right? Yeah, it was never taught. It's apparently banned by the Department of Police. And it's supposed to be a conscious neck restraint if they do engage in one. And that's also engaging in one if the person is being offensive and violent which all of which George Floyd wasn't. When he was on the floor, he said that I'll get into the car. But how can you get into the car when there are four armed men on your neck and on the rest of your body? Mm-hmm. It's just a hypocritic thing that's just happening time and time again. So on the topic of George Floyd, how do you think and what do you think is the best way justice can be achieved? I have a few ways. The first one was the evident one for all the police officers involved, all four, to be charged with second-degree murder, third-degree manslaughter, and a hate crime. So far, all the officers have been charged of murder and manslaughter, but they have yet to be charged of a hate crime, which I believe will be proven soon because they found a clip of the officers saying the N-word against George Floyd. So hopefully that comes to light when it does go to court and they increase the charges. Something else that needs to be done to bring justice to George Floyd is this momentum that the American people have in response to this, in response to police brutality and racism and oppression. They need to keep it. This isn't something that goes away once all the protests end and once all the social media tags go away. This is something that we need to stick with because in order to make effective change, that means fighting the battle off and on the battlefield. So we have to keep that momentum. And again, police departments need to take this as an opportunity to truly change the way they're teaching their officers. 
Because if they don't, I feel like it's self-evident that if the police departments don't do something about this now, it's going to happen again. Definitely, yeah. And I like the fact that you mentioned hate crime because that was a tag that's not attached and I didn't even think of it. Um, And that's something that definitely needs to be attached as a charge because obviously it was something that I'm 100% sure wouldn't have happened if it was someone of another race, if it was a white man, um, then they definitely wouldn't have done anything. And especially because he didn't even resist. That's the worst aspect of it all. He didn't even say anything to them. He didn't even try to run away or get away, but they were just unnecessarily aggressive. And hate crime is definitely a part of it because you're just not unnecessarily aggressive to one person of African-American descent. And Derek Chauvin apparently had multiple other cases registered on him saying uh, about hate crime, about his forceful actions. So, I mean, there was reasonable suspicion for the police departments, yet they did nothing to address this issue. So I love the fact that you're mentioning the police departments and this hate crime because it's definitely things that do need reform in our system. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to our last question for today's episode. What do you hope to accomplish through the march that I know you're leading? And can you give us and, you know, the listeners who are in places all across the world some details about it and how, if they're not part of the WWP community, they can still get involved? Definitely, yeah. So a little bit more details about the march that's coming up. We changed it from a march to a visual that will be, the purpose will be to honor the memory of George Floyd and to show community speakers who will speak about this topic and what we can do as a community to better the fight against police brutality. And this will be on June 13th at 1 p.m. at the Westlander Plainsboro Community Park. And what I hope to accomplish with this is to unite the community and to truly start a conversation about racism and anti-blackness within this community. I heard a lot of responses from parents about what they believe about this. And a lot of people believe that Westminster Plains was such a small community. And because of that, we don't need to address this problem. Other people thought that the protests that are happening around America pretty much equates for what Westminster needs to do. And because of this, they feel like we don't have an obligation to fight this problem. And with that, I have this response. Our community is small, yes, but are are, are our problems small? Our problems are not small. They are huge. Anti-blackness, racism, and oppression are at large within this community, especially amongst members of the non-black community. Because of how big our problems are, we have to address them, and we have to do something about them. Definitely. And I love the fact that you mentioned that, you know, people think it's a small issue, and that's what causes things like this to continue happening. Because you think, you know, it's not something that will affect you, but in fact it does. And you unconsciously, you know, take it in as normal because, oh, it's a small community. Maybe it's just one instance. Maybe it's just two instances. No, that's the attitude that needs to be dropped. That's the mindset that needs to be changed. And I love the fact that you're, you know, leading this and acting and acting on what's happened in the past and promoting action for the future. And I think that's just one of the most um, honorable things someone could do. That being said, this ends our podcast for this week. We're so glad that all of you tuned in and listened to what a youth activist in New Jersey is trying to do to help her own community. And we hope this inspired so many of you to do the same. This is also created in honor of Breonna Taylor's birthday that would have been today. She was shot to death by police officers who had a drug warrant 
and ended up at the wrong house for the warrant. And it was just a gut-wrenching event that happened that was so unfair to her. But this podcast was also in honor of her and the millions of people that have been shot, killed, lynched as a result of racism and discrimination. Thank you so much, Denaya, for sharing your story and for being on the show. Signing off, pro-con.